So, on with Hebrews 12. I've really loved preaching Hebrews 11. I love Hebrews 11 so much I wrote a book about it. And uh, all of you who are still here will get a free copy. Uh, I hope to have it in a couple of weeks. I thought I would have it maybe as early as next week, but it's not going to happen. So, um, the rest of you will have to buy a copy. And uh, that's okay too. Won't, it won't hurt you. It won't be that expensive. It won't be that expensive. But I, I love this chapter. I could preach this chapter every week. Over and over and over and over again. That's how much it means to me personally. That's how much God has changed my life through Hebrews 11. That might be fun for me. Maybe not so much fun for you. But as we've talked about, God defines um, Hebrews 11. Uh, he, he defines faith in Hebrews 11. And so we can't dumb it down. He gives us 16 named illustrations. And then he has a classification called the prophets. But so religious professionals can't, religious professionals like me, with any integrity, say, tell you faith is merely professing to believe certain things. And, you know, attending church when it's convenient. I know that many denominations have boiled or dumbed down faith to that degree, but if you actually read what God says, that bears no resemblance <laughs> to what much of the modern church is saying. God says, my people love me so much they do whatever I tell them. Even if it's risky, even if it's costly, even if it's hard, my people follow me. They don't just simply believe. They're not just simply, let me say it this way, they're not just simply orthodox. And they don't just simply come to church. It's much deeper than that. They live they live this. They live my word. This is what we've been learning in Hebrews 11. God says, my people live my word. They go out in the world and they live my word. Faith is not academic. It is not theoretical. For us, it's a lifestyle. That's what it is. For the true believer, faith is a lifestyle. It's how you live in the morning when you get up. It's how you live all day. It's a lifestyle, beloved. It's not some abstract kind of thing. God says, real faith, biblical faith, saving faith, it's real men and real women with real faith in a real God making a real impact in the real world. That's real faith. That's the kind of faith that God is illustrating to us. In Hebrews 11. Of course we should be orthodox. Of course we should gather together to worship God. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Certainly that's a good thing. But it, that, that, that's not where it ends for the true believer. We go out and we live it. God says, here's real faith. And I want to tell you, I, I tell you this quite frequently, it's just a lot of fun. I think I used the word last week. It's fun. To walk with God. You've never had fun before until you walk with God. You never have. You think you have. And some of you probably sitting in here think, well, I think it's more fun without God. You're wrong. You could not be more wrong. God made your soul and He knows how to fill it. He uniquely knows how to fill that soul. It's just fun to go with God. 
it's a wild ride. <laughs> and as Hebrews 11 um, has made clear, it's real blood, real sweat, and real tears. Sometimes tears of joy, sometimes tears of sorrow. We saw this a couple of weeks ago. Real faith shows up and it works, it struggles, it falls, it gets up, it stands, it fights, it does righteous acts, it sees miracles, it conquers, and it obtains promises. And sometimes, in God's perfect wisdom and providence, real faith is mocked, it is scourged, it is tortured, it is imprisoned, it is stoned, and it is martyred. So there's no conflict here. There's no conflict when we look out into the world and we see God temporally blessing some Christians and some Christians are being persecuted. There's no conflict here. God's doing a thing in both of their lives. God is making His name great in both of their lives. And I have to tell you from a, you know, an eternal perspective, <laughs> what sometimes we may see is, as a hard life, ultimately for the Christian, it's the best life. You know, when you get on the other side, go ask some of the martyrs, would you change it? Go ask some of those who lived in dark countries where they were persecuted. Go ask them, would you change it? None of them would have changed a thing. Now they have true perspective. Now they know what really matters. Now they know what's really important. I made much of Jesus in my suffering. Which is a tremendous testimony to the world. My God's better than suffering. My God's sweeter than suffering. My God meets me in the suffering. My God's enough for me in the suffering. I know that it's hard for many of us in the West to even begin to understand this. But this is what God is saying in Hebrews 11. This is one of the things that He's saying in Hebrews 11. We, we understand what David said. I mentioned it to you a few weeks ago. Psalm 63.3 Your loving kindness is better than life, Lord. And we agree with the Apostle Paul, Philippians 1.21, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Beloved, I hope that you not only understand that's orthodox, I hope you have begun to incarnate that. To live as Christ, to die as gain. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Everything else is way down the list. It doesn't mean we don't have ambition and we don't want families and we don't pursue careers and we don't use the talents that God gives us. That's not what I'm saying, but we make much of Jesus in all of those things. To marry is Christ. To procreate is Christ. To excel in my career is Christ. Right? It's all Jesus. He is the first and the last. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Hallowed be His name in your life and in your marriage and in your career. Hallowed be His name. Not your name. Now, you may get some temporal claim, uh, some, some temporal fame, but we deflect it, don't we? We deflect it off. Well, I praise God. God's given me the mental capacity to do this. God's given me the talent to do this. I give all praise to God, right? That's how the... The humble believer responds, Hallowed be His name in your life, beloved. It's really ultimately what God is saying in Hebrews 11. Hallowed be My name in My people's lives. Hallowed be My name in the lives of My people. So we get to the end of Hebrews 11. We jump into Hebrews 12. God says, Therefore, almost every 
translation says that. Some will say, so then, or some may say, wherefore then. It's the same thing. God has told us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. God has told us without faith it is impossible to please Him. God has told us that we must not only believe that He is, we must believe that He is good. And then God says, therefore. Therefore. And I was sharing with Richard last night, it would be ministerial malpractice for me not to develop what the therefore is therefore. You already know what the therefore is therefore, right? What is it there for? To make sure you do Hebrews 11. Again, this is not an academic pursuit for us. We don't come in here because, you know, we're scholars. Some of us may be scholars. I uh, wouldn't be one of those. Maybe one of you is a scholar. But we're not, we're not coming in here to gain information. We're coming in here to be changed by the power of the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, that we might live out the truth of God. Hallowed be His name in my life. That's what real Christians are concerned about. Church members could care less. I show up for church. I tip my hat to God. I'm done for this week. I've seen it all my life. If that's your attitude, I'm going to say something I said Thursday night, and I probably should never say this. You really shouldn't come if that's your attitude. You really shouldn't come. If you go to Malachi chapter 1, God says... Just shut the door. Just shut it down. If you don't come with your heart, don't just shut it down. I, I'm not interested. Go read Malachi chapter 1. I'm not interested in superficial worship. I'm not interested in that. What I want is a Hebrews 11 life. That's what I want. That's what I want in my people. A Hebrews 11 life. So, I couldn't leave the therefore just sitting there, I had to, in all good conscience, develop that. So in victory or in defeat, in abundance or in need, in blessing and in trial, in life and in death, the men and women of Hebrews 11, their lives shouted, I love this God more than anyone or anything. So I'm going to ask you, can you in good conscience say that? Can you confess that tonight? I love God more than anyone, more than anything. This is biblical Christianity. This is biblical Christianity. And the world reads God off our lives. You know, our, our faith is conspicuous. The world sees it. They hear it. They taste it. They feel it in our lives. We get our hands dirty in the world, loving people. We get our hands dirty. We get blasted for telling the homosexual, you must repent and believe. God is more important than your sex. In fact, your sex is all about God. Sex is all about God. He, he, he invented it. Will you go out in the world and speak the truth in a loving way? Will you tell your friends the truth even though it puts you out of step with the culture? Do you care what the culture thinks? Do you, do you want to be in step with the culture? Beloved, please don't get swept up in the media and the lies of this culture. Don't get swept up in that. Please, beloved. 
Stay on the truth. Stay on the truth. Be God's witness in the world. So God goes to great lengths in Hebrews 11 to define, explain, and illustrate faith. And then He says, I want you to go do it in your marriage. Do it when you raise your kids. Do it in your church. Do it in your job. Do it with your money. Do it in your blessings. Do it in your trials. Do it in your victories. Do it in your defeats. Do it in your healings. And do it in your death. Make much of Jesus in your death. Right? I heard one woman, one great old saint, uh, I wasn't obviously, I wasn't personally there, but I heard the story from a reliable source. <laughs> she was dying, and one of her friends was there, and she finally perked up. She says, I don't remember the friend's name, but she said, she said, Jesus is here. She just got this huge, she got this smile on her face. She said, Jesus is here. She was gone. <laughs> it was like, now I'm not sure everybody has that same experience, but she did. You know, she, she left this world loving Christ. It was a beautiful thing. So God is enough. He's enough. I've been saying it over and over and over again. God is enough for you to go out in the world and radically obey Him. God is enough. That's never the question. The question is not, is God enough? The question is, will you, will you believe Him enough? Will you love Him enough? Will you trust Him enough to go out in the world and do Hebrews 11? The question is not, is He God enough? Oh yeah, He's God enough. Read your Bible. <laughs> and some of you know He's, he's God enough. It's, it's in your heart. He's in your heart. And you sometimes can't, you can't hold Him in, which is a good thing. He's enough, but my question to you is, do you believe He's enough? And will you go do James chapter 1 and James chapter 2? Will you go do the Word in the world? Chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So I want to take you to the end of the verse. That's where the main point resides. The main point is for you to run. This is a common metaphor in the New Testament. Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, I run when it's convenient. Is that what Paul says? I run when it fits my schedule. I run when it's not too much of a bother. I run if I can squeeze it in. What does Paul say? He says, I run to win! I run! He says, I run to win. This is the way Paul lived his life. So I'll just stop and ask you, is this how you're living your life? Are you running to win? Are you running to make much of Jesus no matter what the consequences are? You say, well, Jim, it'll hurt me in my job. So what? Who's more important, your job or your God? Tell me. Well, it'll hurt me in my career pursuit. It'll hurt me at the university. It'll hurt my reputation. So what? So what? Who's more important to you, the name of Jesus or some temporal concern? Listen, I'm not going to go into it. Some of you know my story, and I'll tell you if you want to come ask me. <laughs> but I've lost a job because of Jesus. It was awesome. It was great. I'll tell you the story sometime if you want to know. It was scary. 
but it was good. And God met me there. Paul says, I run to win. The, 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 the Greek word translated race here is the word agon. It's the word we get, it, it, it's the Greek word from which we get the English word agony. Do you get the picture? This is not a stroll. This is not a meander. This is not a jog. This is, I'm giving it everything I have. Paul says, I'm giving it everything that I have. It's a self forgetting sprint to God. That's what's being said here. Run the race. Run the race. And as I always want to remind you, as you run the race, you will become a better spouse, a better parent, a better employee, a better friend, a better neighbor as you run the race. Sometimes people hear me say, well, forget everything and, and run. Well, the true Christian, you don't forget everything. You have responsibilities in your life, right? The problem is we use these responsibilities as an excuse. Well, I have this responsibility so I can't obey God this way. That's always wrong. You don't use your responsibilities as an, ex as an excuse or an out. Obviously, the responsibilities are real, but you give them to God and you obey Him anyway. Beloved, this is a witness. This is a witness. So I'm going to ask you to test yourself as we finish the exposition. Are you running or are you coasting? Are you running or are you meandering? Are you half-hearted and are you lukewarm? Or are you all in with Jesus? So I'm just going to put those questions before you as we make our way through the text. Are you merely a spectator or are you in the race? Most people who call themselves Christians, honestly, they're, they're in the stands. They're, they're spectators. Disciples are in the race. Disciples are in the game. You guys, this is a well-worn illustration of mine, so those of you who know it well, I apologize. Um, but it's just so perfect, I can't help it. Um, you guys know the great uh, book, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan. And you know how the book begins. There's a young man named Christian, and he has a burden of sin on his back. And he runs into a man named Evangelist, and Evangelist says, Why are you in such despair? And Christian says, I have this burden on my back, and I believe it will sink me straight into hell. And the Evangelist says, Well, then why do you stand here, young man? Anybody remember what, he, what the Evangelist told him to do? He said, You see the small gate? He says, you see the narrow gate? Go to the narrow gate. Boom. He's off. <laughs> right? He's running. He's off. <laughs> He's off. He's off. His pilgrimage begins. Um, He's off and running. So I'm going to ask you, has your pilgrimage with God begun? Or are you still playing church? Have you genuinely come to Christ by faith? Or are you still keeping God at arm's length? Have you made a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ? Have you followed Him in believer's baptism? Are you radically obeying Him in your life? And are you submitting to His Word in every sphere of your life? That's what God's calling us to. None of us are perfect. That's what Romans 7 is for. That's what John 1 is for. 
You sin, I sin, we fall, we get up, we confess it, we forsake it, we go on. If we fall again, we cry out to God, He's faithful and just to shower His mercy and grace upon us, we get up again and we go. We don't wallow. We go. We're always going. We're always going with God. Isn't it awesome? We're never, you know, you just can't get bored with Jesus if you're really walking with Him. You just, you're just always going with, you're always going somewhere new with Him, right? <laughs> I love it. It's an awesome thing. So I, I invite you, really this text is really about, it's really for Christians who are, who are moving on in their faith, but it's really also a great invitation to those of you who do not know Christ. My, my challenge to you is to come today, come today. Don't waste one more day in your man-centered, self-absorbed selfishness. You will never find happiness there. It will crush your heart. It will crush your mind. It will crush your soul, ultimately. You must have God and you must have Him now. So that's my invitation to you if you're here and you don't know Christ. Come. Come to Christ and know Him. Did you notice here the language about this, this cloud of witnesses here in, in verse 1? There's a lot of confusion, or some confusion. Some people just teach it wrong. Um, the confusion is that these, they claim that these men and women are watching us from heaven and that they are cheering us on. That's not what the text means. The text means that we, we're a witness to their lives. They're not witness to our lives. We're supposed to look at them and say, hey, they did it. That's a real man. That's a real woman. They went with God. God showed up. Amazing stuff happened. Some of them got killed. They did it. They're our witnesses. We are looking at them. Right? I just want to make sure we understand that. They're not looking at us from heaven. We are to look at them and be emboldened by their faith. People say to me, Jim, I'm not Noah or Abraham or Sarah. I could never live like that. Wrong. You're expected to live like that. You're expected to live like that. That's how Christians live. You're not going to build an ark, most likely. Right? You don't live in Ur, so you can't leave Ur, your home. We don't have to fight any Midianites or Amorites. But God expects you to take your faith out there and just simply obey. Whatever it is, however big, however small, just, just do it. Just obey this God, you know, what's, what, what's normally meant is I can't do it. I don't, have enough, I don't have enough resources to do it. Wrong. What did we say last week? <laughs> Jesus says, God, you can do all things. What is Paul's confession? Why was Paul such an, an incredible man on the planet? One of the greatest. I know, you know, secular history doesn't make much of Paul, but <laughs> he was an amazing man. What was, his, what was his confession? How did Paul live such an amazing life? I can do some things. No, what was it? All things. Whatever God calls me to do, I can do. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Don't you want to step in front of Jesus on the last day knowing that you did all things in the power of Christ? You never shrank back one time. 
You were bold and courageous. You lived an uncareful life for the glory of God. That's the title of my book, by the way. <laughs> Don't you want to step in front of Him like that? I do, man, I do. I was sharing with someone in the last couple of weeks, man, I'm just giving God our... Le- the, you know, I see... I've, I've got some friends in their 70s, and they're, they're starting to go. I can see them going down. It doesn't mean it's, it's in God's providence, but I... You know, maybe I have 10 good years of energy and, and, and acuity and... Maybe I have 10 more good years. Man, I, I, just want, I just want to be poured out for 10 years. And if God gives me more, okay. But it's like He's leading me to talk about and pray about this, 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 this decade. I'll be 60 in two weeks. So i got this decade in front of me, right? And I just want to use it up. I don't want to waste any of it. And for those of you who are much younger, I just challenge you, you should see your whole life this way. You should see your whole life this way. It's not how you stack up. It's how God stacks up, beloved. It's how God stacks up. Don't look at yourself. Don't look at the resume. Don't look in the mirror. Look at God. And you will be free to do Hebrews 11. You will be free to do it if you will just look at God. By the way, that verse I quoted from Paul, Philippians 4.13, some of you probably have it committed to memory. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Secondly, God says, um, what you have to do is, is be in the race. You have to be in the race. And what does He say here? You have to lay aside every encumbrance. So what is He, what is he talking about? What do you think He's talking about? Lay aside every encumbrance. The Greek means lay down every mass, every burden, and every unnecessary weight. That's what it means. To lay off this unnecessary weight that you are carrying. There are two kinds of encumbrances I want to make note of. One is, it's not really a sin. You can't find it in the Bible where it says this habit or this attitude or this pursuit is a sin. But you know full well that this is an encumbrance in your relationship with God. you know full well this, this is not taking you on with God. And we, we know there's never anything neutral. There's never anything truly neutral. Right? It's either detrimental or it's good for us. The picture here is that you've got a, you got a world-class, world-class athlete showing up to run a race with a 40-pound pack on his back. Some of you are walking around with a 40-pound pack. You say, well, it's not a sin. Well, uh, people, other people in the church do it. So what? You're going to live at the lowest common denominator? Is that how you want to live? The lowest common denominator? I pray not. <laughs> I pray not. Run to win, beloved. Run to win. Run to win. Those of you who are leaving, run to win and never stop running to win. And you will laugh all the way down the big slide with God. As we talked about last week, Piper gives John Piper, American preacher, gives great advice here. He says the question shouldn't be, "Is this or that wrong, or is this or that a sin?" The question should be, "Does this or that help me run with God?" That's the question I want to put to you. That's the thing you need to be asking yourself about 
some questionable habit or attitude in your life. And then Piper says, look hard at your life and be ruthless. Anything that's not profitable, bam, it's gone, right? This is one of the encumbrances that God is talking about here. The other one is, you have to remember that God is writing, the, you know, the book is called Hebrews for a reason. God has His man writing to the Hebrews and they loved their religion, right? They loved their religion. They loved it. Men tend to love religion because it's, it's, a, it's an act of, you know, they feel like they justify themselves before God. It's something they can poke their chest out and feel good about it, you know. I'm, I'm good because I go to church. I, I give a little money, you know, when, I don't, when, when, it's, when it's convenient for me. Or, or I, I do a good deed. I say something nice to people. Or I'll pray for someone maybe. I, I do some. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a good person. I'm better than that guy. I'm better than the other guy. God's not interested in that kind of argument, right? The Jews love their religion. And, and the writer of Hebrews is calling them out. Come on out of your religion. Get out of your religion. Religion doesn't impress God. In fact, God finds it abhorrent. I like the way John MacArthur talks about this. He says, The temple and its ceremonies and its pageantry were beautiful and appealing. And all the do's and don'ts of Judaism were pleasing to the flesh. They made it easy to keep score on your religious life. But these were all heavy weights like a ball and chain to the spiritual life of faith. These would-be Jewish believers could not possibly run the Christian race with all of this excess baggage. Charles Spurgeon, that great 19th century preacher, says it perfectly. He says, Religion is simply painted pageantry to go to hell in. And it's true, beloved. Religion can be and often is... Well, the way I define religion, it's always an encumbrance. Don't be leaning on your religion. You be walking with God. That is another encumbrance. I see over the years, I've been doing this for a long time, and over the years I see it many times. People, people love the religion more than they love God. Religion's easier than God. It's not as much fun as God, but it's easier. You just do some stuff and... Right? I'm done this week. It's a lot easier than, than walking with God. The last encumbrance, of course, he mentions here is sin. God says, lay aside every sin which so easily entangles us. How many of you know what kudzu is? I know, okay, Neil and Denise know. I'm sure Richard knows what kudzu is. Kudzu is a vine in the southern region of the United States. It grows about one and a half feet per day. That's half a meter per day. And in a very short time, it will strangle the mightiest oak tree. It'll just kill it over time. This is what sin does to you and to me. If you have sin in your life that you're tolerating, that you're playing with, God says, get rid of it. Get rid of it. The kudzu is going to entangle you. You will not be able to run. Get rid of it. You think you can manage it? You can't manage it. It's a lion. You can't pet the lion. You think you can pet the lion? You can't pet the lion. He will devour you. Get rid of every known sin in your life, beloved. And I know we have besetting sins. I know we do. Get rid of it every day. <laughs> 
every day get rid of it until the day it no longer besets you. I love how Eugene Peterson, the guy that paraphrased the Bible in the message, I love how he, he paraphrases Hebrews 12.1. He says, do you see what this means? All these prisoners who blazed the way, pardon me, pioneers, all these pioneers who blazed the way, it means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. This is what you know. God's calling us to fresh repentance here. He's calling all of us in this room to fresh repentance. Repent and go do it. That's, that's really what the Lord is saying to us. Verse 2, God says, those who really want to run must fix their eyes on Jesus. How many of you ran track? As a young person, anybody a sprinter? Elaney was a world-class sprinter. Did you say ran a track? Ran at track. Did you? Okay, so she wasn't a world-class sprinter. (laughs) Maybe Joyce was. Yeah, she looks fast. Well, I ran track when I was young, and one thing the coach tells you: you never look to the left, and you never look to the right. You look at the finish line. This is what the coach tells you. Because if you look to the left, you look to the right, you're not only going to be slowed down, you'll probably come out of your lane, and it's very easy to fall. If you're running full stride and you look to the left, or you look to the right, you're probably going to fall. So, if we're going to stay with the metaphor here, fix your eyes on Jesus and run for all your worth, beloved. That's the metaphor. That's the metaphor for us. Run for all your worth. You can't be looking to the left and you can't be looking to the right. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ who ran the race with great joy even though death awaited Him. For joy set before Him, He endured the cross despising the shame and now has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That should be like what you want to. Listen, I know some of you guys are young and you got your careers in front of you and you got marriages in front of you and you got children in front of you and all of that's good. It's really good. But it's nothing compared to walking with Jesus. It's absolutely nothing. I'm just trying to make a comparison. And when you're really walking with Jesus, the joy of the marriage, the joy of the children, the joy of the career. Or I'll just go ahead, the joy of your singleness. We know that God grants singleness to some. The joy of your singleness. We live our marriages by faith. We live our our singleness by faith. I love again, uh, Eugene Peterson, Hebrews 12-2. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how He did it because He never lost sight of where He was headed. That, listen to this, that exhilarating finish in and with God. Yes! 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 That's why you get up every day. Because of the exhilarating finish in and with God. It informs all of my life. It informs everything I do. Except my sin. (laughs) I've got an exhilarating finish in and with God. I can't wait. Yeah. I think that's a great 
a great paraphrase that he has there. We're looking for that finish with God. So, in summary, as I close, I'm just going to go back through the chapter really quick. Some of the points that we talked about, that progression of faith that we've been talking about that overlays the chapter, verses 7 through 12. Real faith is always initiated by God. And I know God's talking to you or you wouldn't be in this room. You're not here by accident. You know? You're not here by happenstance. This is not serendipitous. God has brought you here to hear His Word that you might be changed. That's always the case. So God is always initiating. He's always initiating. He's always initiating with His Word. That's one thing we learned in Hebrews 11. Verses 13 to 19, we saw that real faith, real faith is always manifested. It always comes out of the life. It spills out into the life. It's conspicuous. Real faith is not a secret to anyone. Real faith is, is obvious to everyone. Everyone in your orbit knows you're a disciple and a lover of Jesus. There's no confusion. There's no mixed messages. And if you send a mixed message, you go to your friend and you say, listen, I sent you the wrong message. I'm sorry. That's wrong. I love Jesus. I failed. I failed to love Him there. And I want to apologize to you because I was not His witness there. Again, I'm not talking about living perfection, but I'm talking about, you know, if we make a mess, we go sweep it up, right? With our friends. We go sweep it up. And we apologize to them for not making much of Jesus in that circumstance. Verses 23 to 29, real faith does hard stuff. Sometimes you're going to be called to do hard stuff. Real faith does hard stuff. When was the last time you did something hard in obedience to Jesus? And don't tell me coming to church and listening to me preach is hard. You'll hurt my feelings and I may end up in an embryonic fetal position by the end of the evening. Most likely not. I've heard this before. <laughs> you can't stop me, man. You can't stop me from preaching the truth. It's too awesome. Lastly, verses 30 to 38, real faith knows God. God's loving kindness is better than life. We take real risks and sometimes we pay heavy costs, but God is better than the cost. Whatever it costs us, God is better, even if we get sawn in two. So, uh, in closing, I'll go back to Pilgrim's Progress. Christian takes off running to the narrow gate across the field. And what happens? Does anybody remember? No. Well, he, right before he gets in, into the gate. But I think that's after the gate. I'll have to check that. It's not like I have the book committed to memory or anything. But one thing that happened was, and some of you understand this, I have a deep personal understanding of this. One thing that happened was his friends and his family came out and said, Stop. Stop. Stop running. Christian, stop. You don't have to be a radical. You don't have to be a nut, right? Stop. You can go to church with us on Sunday. We'll be a proper, we'll, we're proper church members. You know, when you actually start to run with God, <laughs> the church members around you get very uncomfortable. <laughs> they get very uncomfortable. They don't, it happens. It just happens. But what did Christian do? Someone tell me. I bet some of you remember this. Elaine's probably heard me use this, and Chinelo's probably heard me. Yeah, Chinelo. What happens, Chinelo? Christian puts his fingers in his ears and he says, Life! 
life, eternal life, and he just keeps running. It doesn't matter what his family says or what his friends say. It doesn't matter in the least. He goes, I want God. I want God. That's what the whole book is about. It's about the pilgrim's progress to God. He wants God. He cannot be dissuaded. No matter what the adversary throws in front of him, he cannot be dissuaded. So my challenge to you tonight as your pastor is to is to run the race. Run the race. Run it with all you have. And I can't wait to see you on the other side. You'll have so many great stories to tell me. <laughs> how you ran with God and how God showed up. And how it was just so much fun to run with God. We'll sit and talk about how God was faithful as we ran. Run, beloved, run, run, run. Let's pray together. <clears throat> hallowed be thy name, O God, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be Thy name in our lives. If that's not true for any one of us in this place, Father, I pray that You would grant a spirit of repentance. I pray You would grant the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. So Father, I pray that none of us walk out that door simply a church member we walk out that door hopelessly in love with You. Eager to run. <laughs> Eager to run. For we can do all things in Christ who strengthens us. And we will give all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor to our awesome Creator and Redeemer, it's in His name that I pray, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.